0: Hi there, I'm Alice Brennan, and you're listening to Background Briefing something different for you this week. It's called The Signal. It's the ABC's new daily podcast in your feeds every morning to help you make sense of the news on your commute. With me in the studio today is Yasmin Parry and Stephen Smiley. They are two of the hosts from the show. Tell me about this show. What is it? What is the signal?
1: Basically, every day we're gonna be tackling one or two stories that are in the news and explaining why this is important. You know, you get so many notifications on your phone every morning. You know, you're inundated with news. We want to actually explain why everyone is excited about a story, but we're also going to be breaking our own stuff. You know, we did a story earlier in the week about a uh, Facebook group that's now defunct, where Australian dance musicians and promoters, people in the scene, were sharing explicit photos of women without their consent. So we're looking into our own stuff, but we also want to explain the big stories of the day.
2: Yeah, I guess what we want to do is answer some questions that you might have about a story that's in the news that you've, you're almost too embarrassed to ask. Like, you know, we, we tackled... Happens all the time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's a lot of things that people are vaguely aware of, but they don't know the backstory. Like, for example, this week we looked at the that whether or not there is actually a written deal between the National Party and the Liberal Party. You know, I always assumed there was some kind of document, you know, even if it was like a half page Word document, but they're- No, it's a
0: handshake. yeah, Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's literally just an agreement between the two party leaders, which was new for me, embarrassingly or otherwise. So, that's what we're trying to do. We're sort of trying to pick things that, you know, we have questions about and assume that some of our audience will also have questions about them and then talk to people that know more than we do about these things and get them to unpack them for us. What we're trying to do is just chat to people the way journalists talk to each other about stories and bring the audience into that whole editorial process. So what we're doing is we're sort of sitting around a table each weekday looking at what is in the news, looking at what matters, what's going to have legs, and then jumping into that in an interesting way and a digestible way. They're not super long episodes. We're sort of aiming for what, like 10, 15 minutes max.
0: And Yasmin, is one of the ideas that you have a dialogue, a very strong dialogue with the audience? So if people want to get in touch with you and ask you questions, that's that's going to feature very strongly in the program.
1: Yeah, absolutely. People who listen to the show, we'd love to hear from them. We'd love to hear what people think. We'd love to get their input. We'd love to get great ideas for stories, of course. Always.
0: And now uh, we have an email which is thesignal at abc.net.au, and of course, all of us are on Twitter. Excellent. So we're about to hear today's episode, the signal for March 1, 2018. But to anyone listening, this is the one and only time you'll hear from these guys in your background briefing podcast feed. So you have to subscribe yourself. Pick up your podcast app and um, hit subscribe to the signal. Thanks guys for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. And we'll be back next week with a new story from Background Briefing. We're investigating scammers and we'll actually meet a former scammer. The
3: guy says, let's say, okay, how much is it? I don't know. A few hundred thousand dollars or whatever. He puts the money in, you go into that trade. Now what happens is you so-called win that trade. That's it. You, you won the person over. It's like, you know, he thinks you're, you're, you're a genius. And then the person is yours. Whatever you tell him to do, he'll do that.
0: So keep your eye out for that one. Now here's The Signal for Thursday, the 1st of March. Hi, I'm Yasmin Parry.
2: And I'm Stephen Smiley. And this is The Signal. Sorry about this, but today we're going to talk about company tax.
1: And also, why is it getting so hot in Australian cities?
4: It has been called inadvertent climate change.
1: That's coming up.
2: Okay, so over the next few weeks, you can expect to hear politicians talk about something called supply-side economics, which you might know by its only slightly catchier other name... Trickle-down economic theory. Trickle-down economics.
1: I call it trumped
2: up trickle down.
1: I have heard a lot about this, and I'm glad we're talking about it because I don't fully understand it. So why are we hearing so much about it? (laughs)
2: Okay, fair question. So the coalition's been trying to cut the rate of tax that big companies pay on their profits for literally years, and they're currently having a final go at actually getting it done.
1: So how much do they want to cut it by?
2: Okay, so at the moment, big companies pay 30% tax on their profits and under the government's plan, that rate will gradually be cut down to 25% by 2026. Now, last month, the bill to make that happen got through the House, but the House is the easy part. The Senate is a whole other game, and it's looking shaky in the Senate. So the government is now spending a lot of time trying to coax a few senators like Pauline Hanson, for example, to change their minds and come around to back the government's plan
1: those senators (laughs) have gone rogue. So that's because Labor senators don't support it, which is why you hear the prime minister saying stuff like this.
4: Bill Shorten has declared war on business. Okay, so the
2: government's arguing that cutting the company tax rate will make the economy grow, which sounds great, right? But does it actually work like that? That's what I asked Raul Barreto. He's at the School of Economics at the University of Adelaide. So, the idea is that you, you give companies a lower rate of company tax, and, and what do they do with that extra money that they're pocketing?
5: They are ideally reinvesting it in their own business. And how are they doing that? Are they doing well, that by, uh, by In the most simple way, uh, just imagine that you give a company a tax cut, and as a result, he expands existing operations, buys a new building. Buys a new machine and has to employ people to operate that machine because he has spare capacity that he didn't necessarily have when the tax rate was higher. And and I guess also that companies might decide to, to what pass on their profits to shareholders. Yeah, absolutely. Who, who also pocket you, you more hit it right on the head. You are making the assumption that the company is going to reinvest reinvest uh, those earnings, retained earnings. As opposed to simply paying it out as a dividend, and either
2: way, the theory would be that that however the money that the company gets to pocket is used, it, it, it's it's a better, more efficient way for that money to to, to go out into the wider
5: world no. than if the if the state pockets it. No, no, because everything supply side economics assumes, or rather, really depends on these companies using their money to improve their ability to produce stuff. Literally, if they ultimately take all the money they save and in simply increase the dividend to their shareholders, then the policy has, look, it's been a failure.
2: So the reason we're talking about this, th- these kinds of theories, supply side economics or trickle down theory is because uh, in Australia, the federal government is trying to cut the top rate of corporate tax. That's the tax that, that companies pay on on their profits. Can I get you to summarize the case for it? if you If you had to.
5: Yes. So uh, the case for the tax cut is that, one, you are going to have international, multinational companies uh, not necessarily discounting Australia. In other words, they're not going to say, oh, Australia is a bad investment environment compared to the United States. Mm -hmm. The second one is the assumption that the extra dollars that you give to these companies, they are going to reinvest it in themselves and thereby grow, and as a result, capital expenditure, greater employment, etc. And the economy does well. Mm-hmm. And all those new people who are employed offset the drop in tax receipts from corporate income they're paying by income paying more regular old income. And what's the case against? The case against is that the lowering, of the, the lowering of the corporate tax, the first thing that happens is that the companies do not necessarily reinvest this. Instead, they keep it for a rainy day in other words i could this keep it as a corporate i keep it as retained earnings uh, or rather i could pay it out as dividends to my shareholders or literally just give it to myself as money i personally do believe that the australian corporate inc- the corporate tax rate is a bit high it would appear that we suffer we suffer a little bit of a competitive edge from our higher corporate tax rate. So that effect
2: that we hear about, that companies are like, "Mm, I might not invest in Australia, there is truth to that.
5: There has to be some, yes. There has to be some. We could discern that by just simply figuring out the proportion of multinationals who operate here versus the proportion of strictly domestic firms.
2: So what you're saying is 30% might be too high, but maybe 25% is too low.
5: Yes, quite possibly. These small percentage changes have very large impacts.
1: Okay, so didn't Donald Trump just cut the company tax rate in America?
2: Yeah, he did. So the company tax rate in the US now is 21%. So that's even lower than what the government's proposing here, which would be 25% 25% eventually. And that actually brings up an interesting point because everyone gets really excited, right, about this idea of cutting company tax rates, the, 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 like the tax that companies pay on their profits. Because the idea is, you know, suddenly the government's going to lose out on all this money and all these companies that are making money are just going to pocket the money rather than paying it back into the pie. But the thing that you've got to remember is that, you know, company tax is only a small proportion of the government's income. So most, like the biggest source of income in Australia for the government, is income tax, like the, the the tax that we both pay on our tax returns uh, every year. Also things like goods and services tax, the GST that you pay on everything, or uh, things like fuel excise, or tax on superannuation, or customs duty, as a proportion of the government's income, this company tax is quite small. It's less than a quarter of their annual revenue.
1: But it's the optics, right? It's, it's not a good look for companies to be getting a tax cut when people aren't getting one on their income tax.
2: Totally. And the other side of the debate is this idea that if we have a high company tax rate, then all these companies are going to go to places that have a lower company tax rate, like the US, which has a lower company tax rate. But it might not actually work
5: quite like that either let's just suppose uh, us tax receipts take a massive hit mm-hmm. well ultimately if that were to happen the us budget the us uh, government budget were to blow out you could see some crowding out and you could see interest rates go you could see interest rates go up and you could see actually see the exact opposite of what they're hoping where you can see a a fall in investment malcolm turnbull was in america whatever
2: the weekend and and he talked about the fact that the the trump administration has waved through these new tax cuts and and has sort of said well we need to do that now in australia as well but what you're saying is over time because the u.s government is going to get less money in company tax receipts that might cause them a whole bunch of new problems absolutely that's right Okay, so summer is officially over and later today the Weather Bureau will release its stats and they're going to show that nationally we've had one of the hottest summers on record. In fact, the summer that we've just had was in the top five since records were first collected in 1910.
1: So when we talk about rising temperatures, we're usually talking about emissions and climate change. But the experts are now pointing to something else we're doing that's making our cities much hotter. So Will Ockenden and I went to the University of New South Wales out in the heat to find out.
4: We're now just standing on the roof of a concrete car park uh, and this would be a sort of worst case urban environment if you like. There are no trees for shade. I noticed you've bought your sunglasses. We I didn't tell us about that.
2: <laughs> it's it's
4: glaring. a lot of glare, so there's a lot of visual discomfort. I'm in the sun. I'm getting a lot of solar radiation. I'm feeling thermally uncomfortable. So this sort of environment is incredibly
6: hostile but unfortunately very prevalent. That's Jonathan Fox. He's a researcher in the Faculty of Built Environment and he looks at how to design buildings of the future.
1: And Jonathan didn't take us onto a car park roof just to torture us. He was explaining something called the urban heat island effect.
4: Well, it has been called inadvertent climate change and there's no doubt that the way cities have been constructed in the past uh, without knowledge of the climate effects of design have exacerbated the overheating problem in cities.
6: The urban heat island effect is when a city becomes significantly hotter than surrounding areas because of human activities. Take a look next time you walk through a city, you'll start to notice the designs that make it hotter, like hard paving. Typically in cities, between 20 and 50%
4: of an overall urban area is hard paving. So what does hard paving do? Hard paving typically has a low solar reflectance, so they basically retain the heat from the sun.
1: Or buildings that are built really close together.
4: So we define the space between two buildings as an urban canyon. And what happens is the solar radiation comes into this canyon, and instead of it being able to bounce out, it bounces around and heats all the surfaces in turn. And each surface heats up a little bit more so that's one of the examples of a sort of urban design approach if you were designing from scratch you'd say under these background weather conditions and this environment what would be the optimal design how wide should the streets be how tall should the buildings be those are some of the considerations.
1: How many of the councils do you think around Sydney and even more broadly um, are worried about this and trying to do something?
4: That's a great question I think they're all worried.
1: In January, Penrith in Western Sydney became the hottest place on the planet. It hit 47 degrees. Western Sydney is routinely up to 10 degrees hotter than Sydney City, mainly because it's too far away from the ocean to get the sea
6: breeze. And that's why councils in Western Sydney are at the forefront of tackling the urban heat problem. We went to Parramatta to meet up with Jeff King, the manager of City Strategy.
1: What about that uh, day on January 7th earlier this year when it was quite hot? Do you remember that day? What was it like? Must have been sweltering. Scorching. Hot. Yeah. Yes. Have you been here on those days when it's. I just... have
3: been here on those days. And what do you
1: do? How do you get out of the heat?
3: The data tells us that nobody goes out in the street. So you, you, people stay in their buildings.
1: Heat is a huge problem. When it gets hot, people stop going outside. They stop exercising. They stop buying things, which is bad for the economy. Major infrastructure can deteriorate. And worst of all, people can get sick and die. More people have died from heatwaves in the last 100 years than every other natural disaster combined. So let's talk about where we are now. We're at this uh, giant grass field. It's very nice, surrounded by beautiful trees. And, you know, Will and I have just walked through the city centre where it was quite hot and it's actually a lot cooler here, so why have you brought us here?
3: Well there's a t- couple of reasons we brought you here. One is um, one of our two water parks is um, in operation here. So this is a response actually I think led by the councillors who are very, very keen to start addressing uh, the issues of temperature in Parramatta. But the other reason I brought you here is we've actually, we're running a little smart city project in, in cooperation with our um, parks and reserves people. And in each of the different tree species in this park, we actually have um, spread out around 20 uh, little uh, they're logistics uh, temperature monitors. So it's a really low-tech, really flexible and easy way for us to uh, monitor the temperature in the park underneath each of the tree species.
6: So there's little te- temperature
3: sensors in the, up in the trees? That's all it is.
1: Oh, cool.
3: So it's, it's tiny, because what they do is they put it in packages that are being transported, and it basically logs temperature... Regularly for three months until the battery runs out, and then it just becomes a USB stick.
6: Parramatta has a program dedicated to tackling the heat problem. It's called Cool Parramatta, but there are heaps of others. Blacktown's got one, Penrith's got one, and across all of these programs is an umbrella project called Turn Down the Heat by Westrock.
7: WSROC, Western Sydney Regional Organisation of Councils.
1: Stephen Barley is the Mayor of Blacktown and the Head of Westrock he's worried the heat problem will only get worse.
7: Finally, the the state government, after many years, uh, usually after a few hot days and the media, um, uh, talking about it a bit more has now become a year-long issue rather than just after a hot day that everyone talks about it.
6: New South Wales government policy is to move another million residents to Western Sydney in the next 20 years. They want to build a new airport, the world's largest incinerator, more roads and more houses.
7: There's also pollution effects because we don't get those uh, winds that often to clear the air and we live in a basin. So pollution is higher and hence the actual impact on people is higher cardiovascular disease, higher respiratory illnesses... Uh, Every cancer rate that you can look at is higher in Western Sydney than on the eastern seaboard.
1: So Wesrock is tackling urban heat, but it's not always as easy as you might think. One strategy is to plant more trees. Trees make an area cooler. It's a good idea, but there's a problem.
7: Because generally if you go to someone and you say you want a, a medium to tall tree, people will say no because uh, they're scared about the impact on, and quite rightly the footpath and the road and, and maintenance.
1: That's amazing that you have to talk people into uh, you know getting behind trees you know you think people would be like yeah plant the trees it'll be lovely you know a bit of shade and they look gorgeous and yet people are, are, have to, are quite reticent to let you plant trees in the area.
7: Actually uh, a fair if we're absolutely honest and truthful about this debate a lot of people don't want the trees in their front yards or around the place you know you look at the number of uh, complaints that council get is that p- people are actually asking for trees to be cut down.
1: But people are getting there. It's about generational change.
7: So not only planting of trees, better bush shelters, having looking at emergency plans, uh, you know, what council facilities are available for people to take refuge, uh, shopping centres, etc. Uh, swimming pools, you know, building uh, codes that need to be adjusted so we have lighter coloured roofs and maybe that needs to be made mandatory.
1: So it's fixing what we've already got and then also planning for the future. So as we put things in, making sure they're built the right way.
7: Absolutely. Cool said.
1: Thanks for listening to The Signal today. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. You can also rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email thesignal at abc.net.au. We'll see you tomorrow.